McShane Bible Study, day 212 and 213, and we are starting in Judges, uh, chapters 14 and 15, and we're kind of in the middle of the story of Samson. And what was your question? Why did Samson want to marry Philistine? Yeah, so we see that a lot in Samson's story. If you look at his life and all the choices he makes, he breaks the law tons of times. Mm -hmm. And so you would think, well, this guy's not a godly man at all. And yet God used him to save his people, right? So it's very unorthodox and not what we would think God would do, but we'd do it. And you say, well, he shouldn't be wearing it. I mean, he shouldn't be marrying a Philistine. That's one. He shouldn't eat the honey from the lion carcass. Right. Uh, seems like there was more than that, but he he's he's a he's, he's a troublemaker all around, right? But um, but we see in verse four it says his father and mother because he said she looks good in my eyes, get her because they didn't want her to marry a Philistine, and his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord for he was seeking an opportunity against Philistine, so the Lord implanted it in his heart that that's the only thing he'd be satisfied, which stirred up trouble with the Philistines. So we see trouble keeps getting stirred up for him. And he lives a kind of a tragic life because he likes this woman. And then the Philistines turn against him. And, his, and then his wife turns against him. And we haven't seen Delilah yet. That'll maybe be in tomorrow. But then uh, she's going to turn against him. It's a really tragic life. Um, but basically, God is bringing about circumstances in order to save his people because they'd been under Philistine rule. And, uh, you know, Samson's life is, is what brings that about. Verse 9 says, he's, yeah, we already talked about that. He scraped the honey out of the lion. And um, 15, uh, you know, 15 ends with him judging uh, Israel for 20 years, as they're still continuing to have problems with the Philistines. But he had, what did he defeat a thousand of them? And I guess they decided the spirit of the Lord would come on him and no one could stand against him. And so I guess, um, you know, they, they weren't ruling Israel anymore, but we'll see tomorrow that they're continuing to trouble. Well, they did for a long, long time. What's your question? Why did Samson cry out to God for water? Why didn't you just trust him that uh, he would provide water? So... Uh, Samson probably never read the books of Moses in his life or the book of Joshua. That, those are the only books. Job, those are the only books that exist, right? Scrolls. They'd be super expensive. He's probably heard some of them in the synagogue being read. But there's not much of... There's basically zero... Other than the law, there's zero training on what the spiritual life looks like. We today have an entire Bible that teaches us about what this spiritual life should look like. But that is as much a blessing as it is a trap. Because really it comes down to us living our life with God, right? Everything else is just pointing to that. And so that's all he had. And so he didn't know... And again, I think I started, we started talking about this and decided to restart it and record it. Um, the, 
they, they had a different way of speaking. So his way of saying, woe is me, I'm going to die. Why are you making me die of thirst, God? That sounds like, that sounds like a lack of faith to us, right? But that could also be a manner of speaking where what he meant to what, what where we might say, Lord God, I need water. Do you want me to die here or are you going to give it to me? You know, I mean, it's just it could be a manner of speaking. But also. It's. Um, it shows us his personal life. We, we, we have various emotions go through us. Right. But he was turning to God about it. He wasn't coming up with his own answer to things, right? Mm -hmm. So in that way, he was doing exactly the right thing. Because he had a problem, he turned to God, right? And so all our spiritual training really comes down to us realizing we are God's. Anything that happens in the world is simply a circumstance, and yes, we do things. We're meant to live life in this world. So we, we do things. We have actions. We have responsibilities. We have a life that we live. But the whole goal is that we actually live a spiritual life with the Lord while we're doing everything else. And so we see in this circumstance, Samson's doing that, right? And then we're in Acts 18 and 19. Why don't you repeat that question, Weston? Which one? Second one. Did Paul? Not, it says that uh, that he didn't say anything against their idol. So, does, huh? so Paul is there spreading the message of the kingdom. And for one, again, this man who is showing up. So, just for some background, I think that was Acts nineteen, right? Uh, so, for some background. Uh, Paul is in Ephesus here. A giant riot breaks out. People are screaming for hours. The Artemis is the great, is the goddess of Ephesus. And then a man shows up and says, hey, we got to quiet down this riot. He's not saying anything against Artemis. And um, for, so for one, we don't Who's to say he knows what Paul's talking about? Like, he's not going to know the details of what Paul's talking about. Um, but the bigger picture is, Paul's goal was not to go there and speak against their goddess. That, that's, that would not, that's not what he was there for. And therefore, it was, it's probably not a good strategy to be about something. That can be a trap that we fall into to get into screaming about other people's do's and don'ts. Um, it's, the scripture is very clear that we should not expect other people to live according to the wisdom of God and the ways of God, the do's in which it would include do's and don'ts, right? It's foolishness for us to get upset and expect other people to live according to the wisdom of God when they don't know God. So he, his main thing was not to go there and start saying, you're an idiot for following this goddess. His main thing was to show, hey, God loves you and God has made a way for you to know him and be blessed by him and to live with him in eternity. And Jesus is the Messiah who makes this all possible. And so you must accept him. Now, as he's training him, would he, would these things come up? Yes, but that's not going to be the thrust of his message is to point out you're wrong about this. It's really a terrible way to try to introduce the truth to someone 
is to point out what they're doing wrong. Point out the truth and what is right. And over time, as the Lord leads, <laughs> the things that are wrong in a person's life can be done away with. And that's generally a process. We see here, one of the things that stood out to me is, I think he was in Corinth in eight, chapter 18. He's in Ephesus in chapter 19. He was, what did it say? A year and a half in Corinth. And then he's got two years this time in Ephesus. And so when we read the books of First and Second Corinthians or Ephesians, he's writing those after he spent years with these people, right? He spent years training them and teaching them of the ways of the kingdom. And Ephesians has a good verse. Ephesians has lots of good verses. What's your favorite verse you're thinking of? Fathers, do not aggravate your children. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> um, so, you know, Ephesians is more uh, on the high philosophy, theology side. First um, Corinthians is more on the do's and don'ts, practical side. Second uh, Corinthians is kind of in the middle of those. There's some good stuff in both of those categories. But all books have all those things. Um, but he was writing them things in addition to the foundational teachings he had already established with them while in person. You see that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's in Corinth. Um, and you see, you know, God reminds Paul, or not reminds, God tells Paul before he's about to go through great difficulty, don't worry. I'm, I have many people in this city. I'm going to save you. And then all the difficulty starts, right? So God is with them, and that, that's a beautiful thing. Um, and then they find Apollos. They introduce to Apollos, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and he's, he's preaching salvation, right? Mm-hmm. Which many people today still preach. And they said, they get to know him. They said, man, you're a wonderful preacher and all that message is true, but there's so much more to the kingdom. So they take him aside and they explain it to him more accurately. So you can understand salvation is just the doorway into the kingdom life. So that's, that's kind of cool. And then in 19, uh, he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So that's what he was, that's what Paul was he there to He stayed in Ephesus for a while. Does that mean that the people there, um, that a lot of, that, that like, they didn't, like, try to, like, throw him in jail as much? Uh, I mean, there was definitely people speaking against him, but yeah, I guess he didn't, it wasn't so bad that he had to run away from it, right? I think totally spent three years in Ephesus. Um, and then we see the sons of Sceva, the riot. Well, there was this riot at Ephesus. That's, I think that's what we were just talking about. People are rioting because they think he's going to... Because the how did the riot start? The people that made the crafts about the goddess were upset that too many people were believing in the way and they were turning away. They stopped buying as many uh, goddess artifacts, goddess idols. And they said, uh-oh, we're going out of business. So they stirred the people up against him, right? Or against them. They just want money. Mainly. People are very much driven by money. Yeah. What did we talk about the other day? Money, power, 
uh, two of the big things that some psychologists say that men are <laughs> driven by, and so their money was <laughs> at... Uh, These guys were driven by money. Right. And so they stir people up. But who's doing the stirring up? Satan. Yeah, it's it's this dark, it's a spiritual kingdom. They don't know that. They, they're not. It's not like a demon showing up in the room and they're saying, well, "Here's your, you know, here's your instructions. Go stir the people up." They're stirring up people's thoughts and emotions, and the, so that's why I, that's why I was laughing when I was reading this. Thirty-five, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, because for two hours they were crying out, "Great is Artemis of the Ephesians." It's a long time to cry that out, right? And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? <laughs> That's funny because this guy's not, he's not affected by this uh, spirit, right? And their principality, whatever it is. And so he's like, what are you people doing? Everyone knows this. You're, you're frothing at the mouth. You're screaming. You want to kill people. And you're screaming something that everybody knows. <laughs> what is your problem? But they're stirred up by the spirit. So he, he's, not, he's not influenced by that. He's got other issues because his power is about calm, right? Rome could Rome could send down people and he could be in trouble if a riot is started. <laughs> so he wants to calm them all down. And uh, like, we don't like the clerk of the city. Get him out of here. Yeah. So I just thought that was amusing. But you can see how there's spiritual realities going on that drive people to do what they do. You see it all over the world right now, and you wonder these people are crazy. What they're doing? All of a sudden, new philosophies are. People are doing all kinds of weird thing based on new ideas that didn't exist a few years back. Uh, people are forming groups and writing like this, doing all well, like what's causing all this? Well, there are spirits, powers, authorities, principalities at work in Satan's kingdom, stirring people up. So you have to always remember it's it's not the people. I mean, we deal with people, right? But always learn to differentiate the spirit driving a person from the person. Because that person who's stark raving mad under a dark spirit may be a person that you are supposed to show the light to. And then they will come to give their life to the Lord and turn completely around just like Paul did, right? Paul was driven by one spirit. The Lord saved him. And all of a sudden he was a great force for good after he had been a great force for evil, right? There's many stories like that throughout history of people doing that. So we have to always know that there are people and there are spirits and understand that people are driven by spirits. So we also need to watch ourselves to make sure we are led by the Holy Spirit and not other spirits because they don't speak to us as like a fiendish ghoul. They speak to us as thoughts and emotions in our own head and our own heart. Right? So, okay. Okay, we're doing uh, Jeremiah 27 and 28. And so in this chapter, uh, God first tells Jeremiah to put on a yoke and go into the, you know, the king's chamber where all the prophets and nobles and stuff are and tell him, thus says the Lord, like the people are going to be uh, beholden to, uh, to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar. 
And if you go and serve him, you'll be fine. But if you don't, you, you know, you'll be destroyed. And then this, this other false prophet comes and he says, um, oh, and, he, and he's, he's much more, he goes in great detail. He says, because remember what happened, the first king, Nebuchadnezzar has already conquered Jerusalem once. He took away a lot of valuables, but not everything. So the, the sea, the pillars are still in the temple. He didn't take away everything. He says, if, if you continue to, to uh, you know, rebel against him and not serve Babylon, he's going to destroy everything and take away everything. He says, I will restore this place and my people and bring all these things back. But, you know, you will have a hard time. This false prophet, Hananiah, says, no, this is only going to be two years and the Lord will break off the uh, yoke of Babylon within two years and bring back the old king and all the people from Babylon. So what was your question? Was was Hananiah... Was he, um, was he like actually hearing stuff from the Lord and and twisting it, or what? Or was he just, or was he not hearing anything and just making stuff up? So he was definitely not hearing from the Lord. He was definitely saying that he was hearing from the Lord. What we don't know is 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 there a spirit involved? The reason I want to record that question is we were just talking about people being led by other spirits. And sometimes it can be hard to know, um, is, is another spirit involved in leading me or someone else? Or is it the flesh? Either way, it's, it's sometimes easier to know, well, this, this way is not of the Lord. But is it the spirit of the flesh? So let's look at Hananiah. Could it be his flesh leading him to just make something up? Because... He's talking about what he wants. Even Jeremiah says, Amen. I like your word better than mine. Right? He says, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you what the Lord said me. And I hope you're right. But if you're right, he says, that's not usually what the Lord sends a prophet for. And if, if you end up being right, well, that, that'll be a great word indeed. Um, but um, typically the prophets come to say, turn around or destruction is coming. Right? And so he says, I'm getting the word destruction is coming. And Hananiah, you know, moves forward, breaks the thing off of him. The Lord speaks to Jeremiah and he says, you're going to die within a year because you are not speaking for the Lord. So was he doing it because his flesh wanted, you know, to take off the yoke of Babylon for the kingdom to be restored, for power and prestige to come back into its fullness that they enjoyed before Nebuchadnezzar came? That could very well be. Or was the spirit, you know, working on him to rebel against the Lord? That could be, and and I don't know the answer to that. And then that's, we think we covered uh, Jeremiah 20, what is that, 27, 28 we just covered? And we're going to wrap up in Mark 13 and 14. Before I forget, we're probably going to start doing as much as we can. To, we have a vacation coming up. So we'll probably start doing two days per recording uh, throughout this week. And then I'll probably release them every other day just so there's not a huge gap if, if we can pull that off. Um, and uh, uh, let's see. So I just, I'm going to, a ton happens in Mark 13 and 14, and I'm just going to comment on a couple of things. It's, it's late, and uh, it's getting noisy around here. But I found it interesting that we just read Jeremiah. He's talking about the destruction of the temple, 
And now as Jesus does the exact same thing here. The temple was rebuilt after it was destroyed, as Jeremiah said it would be. And then here Jesus says, and Jesus said to them, verse 2, Mark 13, 2, Do you see these gray buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. <laughs> so it's the same thing Jeremiah was saying, and both of them were correct. And then he gives all this end time stuff, which is really, we should pay attention to this, because he's showing us stuff, and we can look around, we can see stuff going on. But we should also not make the mistake of assuming that means everything's over. Because read it carefully. What did Jesus actually say? Put our religion to the side. And what did he actually say? He's talking about a coming kingdom. And then in 14, uh, did I highlight anything? Uh, 25. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Uh, Mr. Van loves his first because when he came back, we know he eats and drinks with his followers when he came back from the dead, right? Because he had, he had actually made a way for people to enter the kingdom of God. Before, during his ministry, he preached the kingdom of God is near you. But now he says, I'm making a way for people to enter into this kingdom. But the fullness of that kingdom reality, we know from many prophecies, is for an end times people to enter into. And that is, is kind of what we're about. Giving our lives to the Lord, being remade into mature sons of God by learning his ways and becoming a family, a people of God, that he has a holy temple in this world situated all over the world where everyone can know him. And he says, uh, chapter 13, stop with, be aware, be awake, know the times, right? And then, they go out a few hours later and uh, they're walking, you know, he goes into Gethsemane to have his most excruciating night because he's got to submit his life to the Father and be executed, which he really doesn't want to do. Um, and he comes back and they're sleeping after he just told them to be awake, right? And uh, so it's, it's frustrating to him, but he understands they're in the flesh They've got a long way to go that the Lord needs to transform them because they are simply normal people. And every normal person must be dramatically transformed to come into this kingdom life. And uh, 64 says, you have heard his blasphemy. So they asked him if he's the Messiah. He says, yes. And isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. You would think they would want to question him, Right. But all they want to do is destroy him because they, he gets in the way of their understanding, their power, their comfortability, and they want nothing to do with that. But that's all I have. Do you have anything else? No. All right. Well, God bless you. God bless you.